Welcome to Adapter's Advantage, breakthrough moments that lead to success. Our podcast brings you insider stories of the moments that mattered, turning points on the sometimes rocky road to success. Here's your host, Mark Magnaca, president and co-founder of Alego, the workforce training and readiness platform built for distributed teams. Hi, I'm Mark Magnaca, and I want to welcome you back to our next episode of the Adapter's Advantage podcast. I'm excited to have Erica Feidner here as our guest. I think you're going to see this is going to be an amazing conversation with a woman who is named one of the top 10 salespeople of all time by Inc. Magazine. Let me get it just a little bit of background here before we get started. Erica's gift was born of a unique childhood shaped by music and education. Having grown up in a family of seven pianists and teachers, and a home filled with 26 pianos with 400 piano playing aficionados coming and going each year, Erica learned a great deal about the nature of each of the piano and similarly learned to get quickly a sense of the unique traits of different people. As both a pianist and teacher, Erica honed her ability to speak the language of both a master musician and the staunch beginner. She spent time each day at the showroom getting to know the personality of each of the more than 400 pianos, in addition to memorizing each piano's unique six-digit serial number. Having also grown up surrounded by people of all walks of life, Erica realized her ability to pair the personality of the piano to the personality of the person. Erica's skills brought her to an extraordinary level of personal success and many spotlights in the media. As I mentioned, she was the subject of Uh, a story in the New Yorker called Matchmaker about this whole amazing career that she's had that was written by a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. She founded Piano Matchmaker in 2005, where she could continue to select virtually any top tier piano anywhere in the world. So Erica, with that, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. So first of all, thank you very much for inviting me to this amazing podcast. Um, and uh, just very, very happy, happy to be here. And, uh... Now, Erica, I know that there are a number of different things that you do, and I typically start this podcast by asking people the question. So when people ask you, what do you do? How do you answer it? In your case, could you tell our listeners about the three primary things that you're doing right now? Thank you for um addressing the the idea that I do three things uh, equally, because sometimes people will say, so what is it that you do? And I'll just pause like, what am I going to say? (laughs) (laughs) So um, There are three things in my life that I absolutely love doing, and they include um, matching people to pianos and pianos to people, which kind of, uh, the response is often sort of a raised eyebrow, like, what are you talking about? Um, and then, um, you know, having been in an environment growing up with teachers um, and pianists, uh, I am thrilled to um, help people who wouldn't otherwise think about learning to play the piano mm-hmm. or to play the piano and read music in one lesson. And then a third very different um, avenue, um, seemingly different, but using the piano as sort of a, the, the avenue. Um, I help um, executives, normally in a group session, 
uh, in uh, learning more about the client experience and how to communicate best with their clients uh, as part of a, a larger corporation. So in that case, music and the piano is part of a metaphor to help people think about working together. Very much so. So um, as an example, um, we'll first talk, start talking about a piano and how it works and so on and different brands of pianos and so on. And then we'll focus on a certain brand and what it has to offer and what the traits of that piano and the family traits might be of that brand. And then uh, within each brand, each piano is really very, very different, just like, just like people in a family, maybe family traits and so on, but perhaps there are, are identical twins in that family. Well, they, they don't have the same personality. They're still- Ah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's just an amazing thing. So- And, and that's why even, even pianos that are mass produced, um, like a Yamaha piano, what you're saying is that it's, it's similar to two cars might roll off the assembly line, but that doesn't mean that they sound exactly the same. Yes. So two things, an amazing um, uh, development is, is Yamaha actually makes very fine handcrafted pianos now. Um, they do. But, yes, they do. But getting back to um, what you were uh, mentioning, absolutely. It's an amazing thing that, you know, coming off the line, um, you know, two cars might really kind of be the same, but when you're talking about the high-end cars, they right. do, they have lives of their own. Right, right. Two Ferraris rolling off the line, right? They're handcrafted. Exactly. And yeah. so um, pianos are made of 85% organic material. So you can't, I mean, they're, they cannot be exactly the same. I've never met in the tens of thousands of pianos I've met during my life. I've never met two identical ones. I love the I love the personification of the piano. I I really hadn't thought of it uh, oh. in the way you talk about meeting them uh, oh. in their in their personality. It's so amazing! Like some pianos might be cousins. Another one might be the big sister. Where <laughs> it be a very distant cousin because it has you know the same <laughs> X Y or Z. It's it's an amazing thing, and the the most fun is when I am there to help somebody who's like, well, really, I. I really don't know the difference between one piano and another. I don't really care about it or, or what have you, or I, you know, I was to told I was tone deaf. There, there's really no such thing um, as being tone deaf. And we can certainly talk about that another time, but it's especially those people who don't think they can learn to hear the difference or say they don't care. It's those people that I, I have to show them because yeah. it's so important and it, you know, the piano becomes part of that family. And I don't just want it sitting over there in the room. We want to I really, really, before any piano goes home, they have to recognize, and it's really fun, recognize what that piano has to offer in general and especially for the family or for, for that individual. Erica, my next question has to do with this amazing journey that's happened over 20 years. It was 20 years ago that you were featured in the New Yorker magazine, which really helped launch your career as the piano matchmaker. And then a decade later, uh, you're, you're named as one of the top 10 salespeople of all time in Inc. magazine. And now here you are in 2021, and um, you're featured in our new book, Mastering Virtual Selling with none other than the, the great orchestra conductor, Ben Zander. So uh, 
we call what you were doing selling as a service. And what we mean by that is even though you were selling, it was almost like a service, as in I would have paid you uh, for the service of helping me pick a piano because I don't have the time, energy, interest, inclination to try lots of them. I really want to narrow it down to the ones that are the best fit. So my question is, where did you come up with the idea of being a piano mass matchmaker? And how can other people who are in sales and listening to this podcast leverage this idea? So you mentioned um, the focus of the book is selling as a service. And right. you are spot on because selling is a service. Mm. Is a service, absolutely. So I remember um, in early 2001, I was asked by James B. Stewart um, for some interviews for the New Yorker story. And we had seven different sessions, just seven. And I don't know how we, <laughs> I don't know how we, uh, you know, sort of put things together and, and wrote this beautiful story. Um, but in well, that's case, what Pulitzer Prize willing writers do. They can you know, do that. You're <laughs> absolutely right. You're right. So um, it sort of came about in one of the interviews. I said, you know, I feel like having my own uh, letterhead that says matchmaker, 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 all over the edge of it. Yeah. And then I sort of was piecing things together and, um, you know, that together with somebody having said, well, you grew up in this house with 26 pianos. Did you have a favorite? Ah. And I loved playing in room three. Okay, I grew up in a house with 42 rooms. They were all numbered, so we knew where everybody was. Sure. <laughs> so the piano in room three was my favorite. And I thought, well, why is that? And I, I mean, all the pianos were, you know, very nice, had different personalities and so on. But there was something about piano in room three that spoke to me. So yeah. when I mentioned piano matchmaker, I, I noticed that Mr. Stewart sort of wrote a little, jotted a little note down. Uh -huh. And so I gave that more and more thought. And then I thought, you know, that is exactly what I do. I am a piano matchmaker. So Erica, with regards to the piano matchmaker, you had this succinct phrase that is a tagline and it also served as the basis of your brand. So my question is, is that something that you recommend to other salespeople to do? to think about themselves like a brand where they can evoke a, a, evoke an emotion and maybe even have a tagline to describe what it is that they do. Wow, and what it is that I do, you just explained in beautiful words, so thank you. So I recall years ago, um, around the time that I spoke with Mr. Stewart, I saw, I think it was, um, I can't remember the name of the magazine at the moment, but it was, there was a story by Tom Peters and it was called The Brand Called You. And so, you know, I, I started thinking about things and how I work with clients and how every piano is different and the customer will come in and I'll just get a sense of who they are. And as they're speaking, I'll have all 400 pianos. <laughs> sort so of so I gotta ask you though, Erica, pardon me for interrupting, this is great. The, the thing that I'm trying to distinguish here is that there are many people whose perception of salespeople is pushy, number one. And number two, it's like the person who's trying to push you to buy the piano prematurely. What I'm trying to understand is what gave you the patience to realize that this is a process and I can't, you know, remember that word, we'll, we'll sell no wine before it's time. 
yeah. <laughs> of, uh, uh, the wine company, right? Ernest and Julio Gallo. Well, in your case, it's like you you weren't pushing to sell a piano before it's time. You were you were building a relationship. You're getting to know the person, and then when the right match happened, it was an easy sale. Is that is that correct? Absolutely. So the word sale to me, I, in the past, I've been known to say sale as a four letter word. Now. Mm -hmm. I have to say in the past few years, or maybe a little bit more than a past, the past few, the, the idea of a salesperson or, or a sale has really pivoted to a very meaningful, uh, important um, service. You know, I've come to realize, and I think in general, the, the general public has come to re realize that selling itself is an important service and one that is is honorable it's very honorable and there are colleges and universities that are actually having majors in sales you're it's exactly right terribly important because you know the idea of selling it, it's not the typical oh car salesman but even a car salesman has a lot <laughs> you know it's a, a funny lot. it's a funny thing erica i will tell you that in uh in my last book called so what i tell a story about a guy named floyd and uh, this is in the context of an elevator speech. And so people said that they were going around the room at this Chamber of Commerce meeting and they get to Floyd. They said, so Floyd, now what do you do? And uh, Floyd stands up and he says, uh, do you know how most people don't like the process of buying a car because they don't like dealing with a salesperson? People nod their head and says, well, what I do is for $295, I take people through a 15 point process to help them find the exact right car and then I go with them to the dealership to negotiate the best price. I did yeah. not know that very amazing story. Yes. And that is what it's all about. That's what you, well, that's what I'm telling you. What, what's, that's kind of what you did. And what was remarkable is when this guy, Floyd, said it in front of me in a group of about 40 people, as soon as he was done talking, a woman reached over. She tapped him on the shoulder. She said, excuse me, can I get one of your cards? And he had a whole business, in effect, doing what you were doing, but he was doing it for cars. And if you think about it, would you pay 300 bucks to somebody um, to help, you know, to do the consumer reports research to sort of get to know you and say, you're more of a Volvo person than you are a BMW person or whatever the case might be, and, and then go with you to, to negotiate. Um, so in a sense, this idea that you're talking about is really about saving people time mm -hmm. and helping them avoid buyer's remorse. You are right. Now, when you buy a piano, it is often, you know, as important or that the investment is, is sometimes the price of a house, right? right. So we got to get it right the first time. And some people have no idea that every piano is different. What if somebody has them choose a piano that talks like this? Yeah, I gotcha. You no, know, I'm not saying that's a bad piano, but that may not be the right choice for that particular person. And how about, I'm just curious, what about if I live in an apartment on the 60th floor in New York City? Like, mm -hmm. I've got to imagine that there, it, it plays in to some extent where the piano is going to be. Um, does that matter? Everything matters. So when, when, you know, certainly the sound and touch and this, that, and the other is important, but equally important is how the piano looks. Let's say that they, you know, that they may want a, a reddish, wood veneer okay do you want are you thinking mahogany flame mahogany yeah a babinga p.s yeah. did you ever see macassar ebony you know so 
it's it basically I'm opening a a window of beauty to someone who didn't know it was there. Yes. It seemingly is complicated to that individual. Like, how am I supposed to know? That's what I am here for. I got First, it. I need to open the window to see what flowers they like. And then I have a sense of where to direct them <clears throat> and then where to direct them to the next step and the next step. <clears throat> so sometimes the sound and touch is foremost. But, you know, even a pianist, it's, <laughs> It, I believe that you know a piano is a beautiful structure and maybe they think just black because they're a pianist. Well, sometimes, you know, I, I had a mahogany. My first nine way was mahogany and I was so happy it was <laughs> black. Yeah, so, so in other words, it, in the same way that even right down to the phone covers that people have, the ability to personalize it, like just understanding that you don't know what's important to somebody until you ask them, right? That, right? That's a big part of what I took away from your story. Now, I do want to go on just to, to the next question, Erica, about um, who influenced you? Who made it all right for a musician from Vermont to go into sales, which was, you know, not during that time, it was not something that a lot of musicians and in particular, a lot of female musicians got into. Right. <clears throat> So I would say certainly that having grown up in this house with all these pianos and being educators and so on, um, definitely influenced uh, you know my my life until I was about 21, which is the time where there was a big you know pivot in my life. Um, I decided for various reasons not to continue being a pianist, um, <clears throat> and I found that there was a, a gaping hole in my education. Mm -hmm. So I decided to earn my MBA in marketing. And soon after, I found myself on the top of a mountain in Italy on <laughs> vacation with my then husband. And I thought, you know, music and business together. And I know it's classical music mostly. And, you know, I just, they don't seem to go together, but that's really what I believe in. So I started writing down the names of piano companies and manufacturers that I would want to approach. So wow. I did that. And of course, Steinway was one of them. Sure. And they said, oh, but you don't have any experience. Now, how many times yes. does this happen to people? Yes. How are you supposed to get experience if, <laughs> right? you know? So I, I wound up finding um, a smaller dealership also in New York City. Um, and the benefit to that was I learned a great deal. I was giving, given enormous freedom and flexibility as far as how I wanted to approach a customer, how I wanted to help the company in, in marketing and their own branding, uh, just learned a great, great deal. So I was then ready to approach Steinway again, which I did. And then, you know, we had another sort of, um, um, seems like a brick wall where they had five sales reps and they had had five sales reps for probably five decades. And so what about a sixth rep representative? People, you know, the sales reps, I'm sure, were thinking, okay, we get 20%, 20% right, right. people coming in, 20% of the phone calls, we're only going to get 16.66. Yeah, right, right. And, and so, you know, I was in a bit of a tough spot because yeah. I was young, I was female, I was the second female sales rep ever wow. to join the team. 
and I was successful. Yes. And those three things. <laughs> that really makes it tough, too. It's it? really, <laughs> on the other hand, one of my main um, drives was encouraging, you know, certainly to have people understand why they're buying that piano and why that one is special and finding a piano teacher for them after and making sure they love their piano. And guess what? Their neighbor is looking for a piano. So they call me. Well, right. in addition, maybe I'm not there one day. And so that customer goes to one of my fellow representatives. Yeah. So it, it did all work out, but it was it was a challenge. Um, I also learned a great deal uh, from, from that experience, for sure. Well, that is a perfect example of, of the, the power of this pivot here. And I mean, I think, um, as, as you know, the whole beauty of this journey that you go through is you have to have those kinds of things. It's the grist for the mill, if you will, uh, to, to go through this development process. Um, so I, I want to pivot, Erica, to your music teaching business, because the essence of the story that you've just described, which I think is relevant for so many young people and young women in particular who may be listening, um, this notion of figuring out how to combine something you were passionate about to turn it into a career. And I mean, it's, it was actually a very brave thing to say, OK, um, I don't know anything about selling. And um, I, I don't come from a family of salespeople or anything, but I'm going to start calling piano companies in New York City. I mean, let's just see what happens, right? Yeah. So it, it was really a pretty stellar kind of rocket ship ride. And I, I want to bring people up to speed in our remaining time on the mu music teaching business, because it's sort of like you've come full circle now uh, with, of course, continuing to help with piano matchmaking, but also helping people learn to play the piano. Because I suspect, Erica, there were many people who bought very expensive pianos who wished they could play the piano better than they can play. Exactly. So that's, that's, that's exactly the situation. So, you know, these clients are in the hand, have to be in the hands of somebody they trust. So first, you know, what I normally do is, is talk with a client and sort of show them my brag book, which is basically, uh, you know, articles that are, are about what I do, but written by somebody else. So there's, right. they're just speaking for me, which is really, really important. Third party endorsement. Oh, that's it. Yes. Right. <laughs> that it, that's it. Exactly. Um, so I think one of the main things um, in having this uh, teaching um, aspect of selling is because I would often have people who had a lot of money and they would be looking at a $100,000 piano and say, well, I, I have the money, Erica, but I'm so embarrassed mm -hmm. because I don't even play. And I have an eight-year-old daughter and she's only eight playing on this fine piano. So I'm not comfortable. Now that objections are the most important thing in sales mm -hmm. because they present an opportunity. Yes. If somebody says, well, I don't know how to play or read music, I'm thinking, well, have a seat, Mr. Smith, mm -hmm. on this bench. And they'll look at me like, I, no, I just said I don't know how to play. All right. So just, it's a very comfortable bench. Have a seat here. Put your right foot on the right pedal. And we're going to play the black keys over here. And just put your hand. And they begin to play. And it yeah. sounds great, right? Yeah, and then right. P.S., there was a time in my life where I had some time and I thought, well, music has been, music notation has been the same pretty much since the year 900. Mm -hmm. 
hundred. <laughs> and I thought of a different way of learning where there is direct correlation with what you see on the lines and spaces yeah. and where your fingers are supposed to go. So it's so simple that when I applied for a patent, they said, well, we're not sure we're going to give it to you because it's too obvious. Now, imagine. Right. <laughs> no one saw it in 900 years, but it's too obvious, right? <laughs> exactly. So it, it's, it's certainly, uh, you know, did I have to show this person how to read music and play the piano? No. But does it, um, does it make selling and also buying an amazing experience? Absolutely. You know, it's, it's so interesting, Erica, just as you say it, um, I, I bought a car in the last year and the salesperson just had a genuine passion for cars. Mm -hmm. He particularly loved this brand. He owned the brand himself, you know, so he, he bought it himself. He like he lived and breathed it and it made it such a better experience um, versus like a traditional grind, you know, in a business to consumer type uh, selling model, yeah. I absolutely felt like he got the premise um, of what you're talking about, which was his job. I, look, how hard of a sale was it? I've come into the dealership, right? So you know that I'm interested. His job was to guide me to the car that was the best fit for what my wife and I were looking to accomplish, not um, just jam one more out to close the quota for the, you know, for the quarter. Exactly. And I mean, selling cars, yes, it's a commodity. And yes, they're all the same. But guess what? No, they are not. Because one little upgrade might make a huge difference to that person. And you need to discover what that little thing is. Yes. And or bring it about. Maybe that person doesn't know what difference it's going to make if the steering wheel is leather instead of plastic. I mean, these things make a huge difference. Last question for our listeners for today what do you see as the most important skill that you think people need to learn or improve today? Wow. Well, that's a terribly important um, question in uh, today's world. So <clears throat> with the pandemic, which affected mm -hmm. everybody worldwide in many, many different ways, we have all needed to adapt. Yep. and figure out ways to adapt. And it's a very broad term, and I know that, but I really think that is the most important thing for people to, um, to embrace. So adaptability, really, the ability to pivot, kind of roll with the punches as things play out. Yes, because again, a challenge seems like, oh no, what am I gonna do? But always look for the silver lining because guess what? It is always there. It's always there. You just need to look for it. Right. If in, and I, I think about it, we didn't have time for this story, but if you hadn't had a torn ligament uh, in your skiing accident, you might've been just in the career of piano player, not one of the top 10 salespeople of all time. <laughs> Eric, if people want to learn more about, if they want to find out about this ability to learn to play in one lesson, uh, if they want to know more about what you're doing and, uh, and even some of the seminar work that you're doing, what's the best way for people to reach you? Thanks very much for asking. Uh, certainly by way of LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. um, and also uh, feel free to email me at Erica, E-R-I-C-A, 
at pianomatchmaker.com, uh, which can also be found on my website, which is also pianomatchmaker.com. Thanks for being part of the podcast. I am thrilled. Thanks so much. I had a great time. Thanks for joining us this week on Adapters Advantage, available on all major podcast platforms. Make sure you visit our website, alego.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. If you liked this show, you might want to check out our virtual training kit to learn how to keep a remote team running at full speed. Go to alego.com slash virtual to download your kit today. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. And don't forget, one new idea can change your life.